Lord Jesus, we pray that you would use your word to bless us. Help us to understand it. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask this in your name. Amen. A member of our church recently took his kids out to lunch, and when the waiter dropped off the bill, his kids noticed that the waiter's name was Jesus. Now, obviously it was the Hispanic name Jesus, but his kids got a kick out of the idea that Jesus had waited on them. But that raised a profound theological question. How much do you tip Jesus? (laughs) From that story and the verse we just read, it is now dawning on you that it's October, So it's time for that once-a-year exercise in guilt and obligation known as the Sermon on Giving. Some of you may already be checking out on me. Hold on, hold on. I promise I'm not going to make you feel guilty. I'm not going to make you feel pressured. Because I believe that with Jesus, it is never about obligation. It is always about an invitation. And if you're visiting today, just know that we only do this once a year. So you pick the lucky day. You can just listen along or you can enjoy watching other people listen along. We're doing a sermon on 10 verses that will change your life. And some of you may suspect, ah, you just picked this verse, Dudley, because you need to talk about giving. That's actually not true. This really is a verse that has changed my life, and I would have included it anyway. There are times when I get frustrated with preaching because I've experienced something and I just can't find the right words to help you see what I see and feel what I feel. And this is one of those subjects. In the Old Testament, God asked that we give 10% of our income to the place where we worship in order to carry out his work in the world. Which, by the way, 10% is less than a tip, right? So, that's a good thing. It was called the tithe. Jesus comes along, he ups the ante and says, actually giving should be sacrificial, which for many of us would mean way more than 10%. Christine and I have been giving over 10% of our income for a long time, even when I was a graduate student, even when we didn't have very much money. And honestly, I can say it really has been one of the most life-changing things we've ever done. Let me tell you why. First, giving sacrificially brings us certainty that God is real. One time, Antoine Rutaeseri, who's the director of the agency, were partnering with in Rwanda to build the Center for Champions. One time he said to me, Scott, I feel sorry for you American Christians. And I thought, what do you mean? I mean, you deal with poverty and genocide and all kinds of problems. And he said, every day on my doorstep, there's someone who's needing food or needing shelter. And he said, here in America, you would just send them off to an agency or throw some money at the problem to fix it. But he said, my only recourse is to pray. That's all I've got. And because of that, I see God do miracles that you will never see. And because of that, I never doubt that God is there, ever. And I thought, who is blessed and who isn't? That seemed to me a very profound statement. That in our culture, we often don't experience God because we really don't feel like we need him. We don't have to rely on him for anything. And it's only as we take risks to do something that God asks us to do, like give more money than we think we can handle, that we see God come through for us and suddenly he becomes very real. The most interesting thing about this verse is God says, test me on this. You know, other places in the Bible, it says, don't put God to the test. But in this one verse, God makes an exception. And he says, in this one thing, the thing that is hardest for you to part with, your money, test me on this. Test me and see if I don't bless you. And not just bless you, 
but give you so much blessing that you won't be able to handle it. And sometimes that blessing comes in a financial form. I have talked to just way too many people who, when they started giving, ended up with more money rather than less. I've just, dozens of people have told me stories like that. I've talked with dozens more who gave when they didn't have a lot of money. But then God provided for them in some ways, sometimes almost miraculously. Everything from unexpected raises to neighbors just wanting to get rid of a car and giving it to someone. All kinds of stuff. Sometimes the blessings are financial. Other times they're the blessing of learning to do with less. Philip Yancey tells the story of a man who wanted to simplify his life. So he went on a retreat to a monastery. And a monk showed this man to his room. And the monk said, if there's anything you need, just let us know. And we'll be happy to show you how to get along without it. (laughs) There is a blessing in realizing we don't need everything we think we need. I talked with a man recently who told me that he is glad to be giving sacrificially. Because before they started, he and his wife just kept acquiring more and more stuff. And it was having a negative effect on their family. Their kids kept expecting more exotic vacations and bigger toys. And they spent all their time on their stuff. So they downsized their life, started giving. And now they spend more time together as a family. They're healthier. They feel that God is more real in their life. God provides. When we take a risk, God provides in one way or another. And that builds our faith in him. I believe sacrificial giving may be the single best way for American Christians to know that God is real. Second thing sacrificial giving brings us is freedom. Have you ever worried about money? Have you ever compared yourself to someone else financially and felt inferior or jealous? Have you ever felt guilty about having so much? Giving can free us from all of those worries. You see, money is not a bad thing. I want, I, I want to be clear. Money is not a bad thing. It can be a very good thing. Money makes a great servant, but a lousy master. And for a lot of us, money becomes our master. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. In other words, our hearts are shaped by where we put our treasure. So if we treasure physical appearance, we'll be shaped by vanity. If we treasure other people's approval, we will be shaped by other people's opinions. If we treasure money, we will be shaped by consuming desire to have more. Our hearts will follow what we treasure. So Jesus says, for heaven's sake, literally, put your treasure where you want your heart to be. So that if you want your heart to align with eternity, put your treasure there. I know of a woman who grew up somewhat poor, and she always wondered what it would be like to live in a fancy house or eat in a fancy restaurant. Well, then her husband's business took off, and now she lives in a very fancy house, but funny thing, it never looks quite right for her, and she has such nice furniture, she always worries about her grandchildren sitting on it. And she eats in fancy restaurants all the time, but the food is never quite right. It's it's sometimes too hot or too spicy or too this or not enough that. The more money she got, the more obsessed with pleasure she became, the less discomfort she could tolerate, and her world began to shrink smaller and smaller As I've told you before, when your world is small, everything in it seems big. Now contrast that to a couple in our church who don't have a lot of money, but this week the wife told me that they're having a blast eating chicken soup for dinner and giving their money away as fast as they can. Because they've just kind of figured out that it's fun to give it away. And then watch God provide. They are free. They are free. 
Sacrificial giving brings us certainty that God is real. It shapes our heart to eternity, which brings us freedom. And finally, sacrificial giving can bring us adventure. God wants us to go on an adventure with our stuff. You see, God intends to put this world to rights. That is his project. That is his mission, to undo what the devil has done. And he started his rescue operation in Jesus, but then he asks us to help him finish that operation, to finish the job. And to me, this is exciting. You know, it's like when you were a kid and and you'd choose up teams for some kind of game. And it was always so exciting to be chosen for the team. So I've been told. (laughs) FPCB, God has picked us for his team to partner with him in rescuing this world. If you were here last week, you saw the missions fair we had. All those booths, each one representing just one way that we as a church are partnering with Jesus in redeeming this world. And after the 11 o'clock service, I, my kids and I went out to the patio and we watched the African drummers. I mean, my kids just loved it. And then in the evening, I, if you, in the evening after the 6 o'clock service, there were some Guatemalan um, kids out there who were playing these really loud, cool pipes. And it was just so much fun. I mean, people stayed. There was dancing. There was singing. There was food. There was fun. Folks, that's a little bit of what heaven's going to look like. All of God's people together celebrating. And we get to be a part of that adventure. We get to be a part of helping up there come down here in those people's lives. We are a part of them. You heard today in the video about how we as a church took a huge financial leap seven years ago when it didn't really quite pencil out in the budget. We put our faith in God to partner with a village in Guatemala and help the people there get to the point where they could be self-sustaining and to walk with those people for years. That was a new model. Rather than just throw some money at the project or go down there once and never go back, we decided we were going to actually enter into a relationship with people in Guatemala and walk beside them to see what God wanted to do in their lives and in ours. We didn't just bring stuff, we brought ourselves and we got to know people. People like Servando, who you heard about in the video, who I got to know when I was there a couple years ago, and hear his hopes, and hear his dreams, and hear his passion for his village, and hear his faith as it was emerging in the God revealed in Jesus. I mean, I even got to bless his corn grinder. That's a close friendship, right, when you bless someone's corn grinder. And now we're partnering with a second village. I love it when students from Eastside Academy come and share their story about how Eastside Academy turned their lives around and helped them get off drugs, helped them get an education, and helped them hear about Jesus. My wife knows every one of those kids by name. She prays for every one of those kids because every month all those kids come to Women at the Well and the women there cook them breakfast and get in their lives and get to know them. And, and, you know, you've heard me talk about this before. It's just one of the coolest kingdom things that happens. Presbyterian women and at-risk teens. I mean, it's just a cool combo. It's going to have a lot of fun when you put those people together in the room. And we get to be part of God working in their lives. We get to participate in that. And as a church, we want to be able to do all of that and so much more. In fact, our elders have committed that 20% of any budget increase automatically goes to compassion ministries that help other people outside of this church. But it's not just lives out there that we're changing and that we get to be a part of. It happens in here, too. This year, I had a young Muslim man from Central Asia walk up to me after one of our services, and he said, I want to become a Christian now. (laughs) Words I may never hear again in my life. (laughs) 
but I got to hear them once. Turns out that he had met a family from this church. They befriended him and invited him into their home over and over again for, to have dinner. And then um, his girlfriend started going to this church, and he didn't want anything to do with it, but he'd drive her here, drop her off, and then go right out of the parking lot, you know, I guess saving parking spaces or something like that. And, but eventually he got interested. He started coming. And through the music and through the people here, he experienced God in ways he never had before. Brought him to the point where he wanted to convert. You guys did that. You guys are part of this man's life. Now he says he's happier than he's ever been. You made that happen by supporting the ministries of this church. I think about the man who was facing major surgery and was scared to death until one of our pastors came and prayed for him so that he could go into surgery with the peace of Jesus in his heart. Or I look at my own kids and I see the ways that the ministries of this church are shaping them to be more like Jesus. Last week I took my kids to the Pike Place Market and on our way there we passed a homeless man with a sign that said, Need money, help. My eight-year-old daughter said, can we give him something to help? Normally, we carry uh, gift certificates to supermarkets to hand out, but we didn't have any that day, and I, I didn't have any money. So my daughter said, well, I have some money. We can use mine. And then my six-year-old son said, yeah, and I'll give some too because Grandma gave me too much money, and now my wallet is fat. <laughs> I don't like fat wallets. Let's just pause on the wisdom of that phrase for a moment. I don't like fat wallets. How fortuitous my son would say that the very week I'm preaching on giving. Is God good or what? I mean, I have to admit, the, when he said it, my first thought was not, oh, isn't that nice? My first thought was, oh, that'll so preach. <laughs> Occupational hazard. So using their money, my kids bought some food at a bakery, gave it to the homeless people and said, God loves you. And then the homeless people all high-fived my kids. That is a kingdom moment. So often my kids fall into the consumerism of our culture. I want this thing or I want that thing. But in that moment, they wanted to give. In that moment, they were becoming like Jesus. Now, Christina and I are good parents, but we ain't that good. That has a lot to do with our children's ministries that is helping to shape my kids. Yeah, and it gave me such a great, such a warm feeling in my heart. Until on the way home, they started to speculate what kind of reward they might get in heaven for having done it. <laughs> they decided it would be more hot chocolate than you ever could drink, just in case you want to know. So still some more growth needs to happen, so you guys need to keep giving. <laughs> Support the Sunday school. I think of some of the stories we've heard in our, in our moments for witnesses here in the church. Just in the last year, a teenager in Kirkland who turns her life around. A middle-aged man who finds Jesus at the end of a midlife crisis. A suburban principal who learned that Jesus could come walking into her classroom and do her bulletin board and change everything for her and her staff, causing some of them to go back to church. Or the police officer who knows that when she's at the scene of a domestic violence call, someone has her back at FPCB in prayer. That is all God working through us. We are a part of all of those people's lives, guys. And it is wonderful and messy and scary and inexplicable. And it is all so incredibly good. We are part of God's rescue operation to this hurting world. And that's why Christine and I are more than happy, more than happy to give 10% of our income here. And then over and above that to the ripple effect. And over and above that to things like Eastside Academy and International Justice Mission. But only after we give the first 10% here. Because that's what God asks, because it's a great way to link arms with all of you and be on God's team together, and because it's a way of letting go of our stuff. Even though I'm the pastor, 
I don't get a say of where the money goes. I have influence, but our elders make the final decision. And that's part of letting go of our stuff. Because if I'm always writing my check to my pet projects, I'm still hanging on. And I'm not becoming the man Jesus wants me to be. And I'm not having the freedom he wants to give me. And just to let you know, this year we're going to do something different. We want to be good stewards of your money. So in a couple weeks, we're going to ask you to take an online survey called Reveal. And it's designed to let you tell us what's working so that we can better align our resources to the things that, that, toward those things. I got an email from a couple a while back in this church who, who gave a lot of their time serving but found it hard to give money. They gave it around 1% or 2% of their income, which is about normal for American Christians. And God kept nudging them to do more, but, but as they put it, quote, we were fearful of the consequences of giving more. Well, it turns out God has a creative sense of humor. The husband started his own company, which he was just sure would take off in six months, but it didn't. And so their income shrunk down to just a, a fraction of what it had been, and, and they nearly ran out of money. But because their income had shrunk, what they were giving to the church became 10% of their income. So now they were tithing. It's one way to get there. But at this time, their trust in God was growing, so, so they decided just to keep giving the same amount. Well, I'll finish the story in their words. Here's what they wrote to me. Well, guess what? Several miracles happened. God provided in ways we never could have imagined. We were able to pay our bills, and we lost our fear of not having enough money. Once my business started doing well and our income increased, we just kept giving at 10% and often more. We had learned to sacrifice in order to honor God's kingdom priorities. We were no longer afraid of not having enough money. God had shown us his power to care for us, and in the process, we have grown to love him more. Hear those words. We were no longer afraid. We were no longer afraid. That's freedom. That's trust. That's faith. So let me challenge you. This week, you're going to be getting a pledge card in the mail. Please fill it out. Turn it in next week to help us plan. And if this isn't the, if between what you're given to the ripple effect and, and, and to the operating budget, you're not 10%, let me encourage you to get there or at least take a big step toward it. Some of you we know have real serious financial issues. I encourage you just to find other ways to support the church. But more important than percentages, please don't get all caught up in legalisms and percentages and all of that. No, no, that's, this is not a have to, guys. This is a get to. The real issue is have you learned the freedom that comes from trusting God? And are you a part of his rescue operation to this planet? Because that's what's going to change your life. And I would preach this sermon even if we had all the money we needed to run the church. Which, as I've told you before, we do. It's just all still in your pockets. <laughs> For me, this is a point of passion, not of fundraising. Because my life has been changed by this verse. We live in a culture that teaches us to be proud about our money or hoarding of our money or fearful, frantic, anxious, worried, hassled, pressured to get more money. And that wrecks us. And I love you guys and I don't want you wrecked. And I have experienced personally the freedom and the joy that comes from giving. It isn't always easy. It does involve sacrifice. But it brings me certainty that God is real. It shapes my heart to eternal things which frees me. And I get the adventure of partnering with God in his great rescue operation to this world. And that brings joy. You know, I've been in some of the poorest countries in the world. And often in churches, 
when they give their offerings, they don't do it all Presbyterian style like we do, you know, sedately passing the plate. Right? Instead, they all get up, they sing, they dance, they wave their offering in the air. I mean, it becomes one of the highlight of the worship services. These are people who barely have enough money to eat. But their lives have been changed. They've been given joy by giving. The Bible says God loves a hilarious giver. That's the accurate translation. Honest. And that's what he wants to make you, a hilarious giver. But with Jesus, it's never about guilt or percentages or obligations. It's an invitation. It's an invitation. And he's going to love you whether you give or not. He's going to love you all the same. And he's never going to force you to do it. You know, shake it out of you. That's not Jesus. Like a story I recently heard about a man who heard a woman calling for help, so he ran over and turns out her little boy had swallowed a quarter and couldn't get it out, so the man picks the little boy up, turns him upside down, starts shaking him and shaking him, and finally the quarter comes out. The woman said, oh, thank you. You, you knew just how to get that coin out of him. Are you a doctor? And he said, no, I work for the IRS. <laughs> That's not Jesus. He's not going to turn you upside down and shake it out of you, and neither am I. But he does say, look, I know this is hard for you. I know it's hard to let go of your money. So test me on this. Try me out. Put me to the test and see if I do not pour out on you so many blessings, you won't be able to contain them all. So as your pastor, I give you this theologically sound permission this year to put God to the test and watch him deliver. And you will be part of making up there, come down here with him. Lord Jesus, help us to trust you, even with our money, and we'll be grateful people. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.